Uh, Luke chapter 15, hear the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he had divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out, called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. 
His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, uh, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And we pray it would be with among us as well. What I love most about this passage, and as I've come back to it and studied it for this, uh, what I love most is the glimpse that we get here, uh, the picture that we get of God. And we get a picture uh, in this passage of God celebrating. Uh, it's, it's one of him celebrating. I mean, how often do you think, think of God as uh, playing music or feasting or, or celebrating or, or dancing? And, and here the pictures we get is, is almost of God that he's, he's so excited that he can't hold it in or he doesn't want to hold it in. And he, he shouts and he sings uh, in joy. It's not often just the way that I, that I think of God, but here it speaks of it that way. It's, you can take the passage in Zephaniah 3, a beautiful passage that speaks about the Lord and his relationship with his people. and describes him saying that he rejoices over you in gladness. He exalts over you, I love this, with loud singing. He's not holding it in. He's letting it out in all the joy and the celebration of excitement over it. Uh, God is a God who celebrates. And each of these three parables pictures for us a joy and celebration at finding what's lost. And it pictures the joy of heaven, not just the angels in heaven, though it speaks of them, but God himself, his joy at finding what was lost. Uh, Whether it's the shepherd or the woman calling their friend saying, I rejoice with me for I've found what was lost. With that beautiful picture of the father who sees the son in the distance. And with compassion takes off running toward him to embrace him in his love and says, let us eat and celebrate for my son is here. God is a God uh, who, who celebrates. Do, you, do, we, do we realize that he, that he thinks of things that way, that he speaks to us that way about himself? And to me, this only becomes uh, more amazing and more beautiful and more wonderful when we realize uh, that he's celebrating over people like us. Uh, He's celebrating over people who have uh, messed up and failed and broken, who have things that they want to hide and have run away. Uh, He celebrates over people who are sinners. And maybe we think... Certainly we should celebrate God. Uh, we think of worship and, and coming before him and that type of celebration. But to, to think that God celebrates sinners, that he would celebrate broken uh, failures like us, that he loves and rejoices over. The beauty of this passage. I feel it's really great if you have a birthday party and actually like all of your good friends actually show up. 
They're like, oh, this is great. I look around. Here's the people that are with me. They were able to make it. They were, instead of getting the text message, hey, happy birthday. I can't make it. And you're like, oh, I know they still love me, but it's still a little disappointing. Uh, or it's great when not just that, but you're, uh, one of your friends actually throws the party uh, for you. And you just have people around you who love you. And that's, it's great. Um, but this would almost be more like the president of the United States. Uh, Barack Obama decided to throw a birthday party for you because he thinks you're awesome. And he invites people and tells all the people he knows, come around you uh, because you're great. And he wants to celebrate you, even though maybe you're a Republican and you didn't vote for him. Um, right? The prodigal son, son in this passage is not the most admirable character to, to emulate all of his life choices. But he's celebrated. Uh, this father picturing God for us rejoices over him. Can you imagine that the holy God Almighty might get joy about you, about you coming in need uh, to him. He's excited to celebrate over you, over us. And the celebration in each parable is because, particularly that what's lost has been found, right? Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep or my coin, my son uh, that was lost. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was lost and is found. Now, I know a lot of times I'll hear just Christians refer to non-Christians on the campus um, as, as lost, right? There was always lost people there or something. And I've always thought that that would probably, as a, as a non-believer, sound kind of offensive. Because um, it seems like it describes like your subjective experience. Like everyone's just saying, you must be going around confused. Like, I don't know where I am, just wandering around um, or running away or just kind of dumb. Um, but, but notice here it's a different, different picture, a different, different idea of it. Um, lost here is instead a description of, from God's perspective, something valued and loved by him uh, that's been for a time lost to him, but that he gets to, gets to have back. Um, it's something that God loves and misses and longs for and wants back, right? If, if you accidentally leave your cell phone somewhere, all of a sudden you're nervous, right? Like, is someone take it? Where did I leave it? Is someone going to call it? Do I have a lock on my phone? How am I going to find my way back to it? Did I put the GPS tracker on it? Or whatever goes through your mind. It's what your mind. It, and, and, you're ner- and until you get it back, then you're, then you're relieved. Or someone brings it back and you're like, thank you. Um, right? That's just, that's just something that we get, we get nervous about. We don't even want to think about uh, losing someone that we love or value. Or the missing child uh, things. But God... As he looks at humanity, uh, all of us, all the people that you've ever run across, as God looks at humanity and specifically uh, sinful people, he looks at them and those that he misses, that he values, uh, that he longs to be brought into his love again. It's far from from an insult. It's it's almost an invitation, uh, wooing us to be restored into his affection. It's this God who celebrates, uh, that celebrates over sinful uh, people being restored to him. So we're going to go through this, and we're going to look at three different aspects of it. And I'm going to be disappointed the entire time because there's so much more that I would love for us to get out of it, but just to get some of the things uh, through it, uh, look at it this way. But one of, the, one of the major questions that comes to you that I want you to think about as we, as we go through this um, is this. Will you join the celebration? 
As God is singing loudly, as he is rejoice and call your friends and neighbors and come together in these things and celebrate, uh, will you join in the celebration? The music, the feasting, the dancing, the singing, do you, do you want to be part of it? Sounds great just when you put it that way. I doesn't want to end up at some great party and, and be there. Um, but, but maybe it's not so easy when we hear Jesus talking about repentance, which is the context of the, of the celebration in each of these. Uh, all, all this celebrating is especially a celebrating of repentance. That's the first point we're going to go through this. Uh, celebrating, celebrating repentance. You see this in verse 7 real clearly. Other places that it says it as well. But verse 7, Jesus Tells, after telling the first parable about the shepherd, the 99, the one that runs away, brings him back, calls his friends, celebrates, and Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I don't know what you usually think of when you hear the word repentance. Um, it's pretty much just a religious word. I don't think I, I hardly ever hear in any other context uh, that a religious or Christian uh, word typically uncommon. Like if someone just says to you, repent, or you see the sign that says like repent, or your roommate tells you like, oh, repent. I, I think we just feel kind of like vaguely insulted. Like we feel bad. We feel like they don't like us, but we're not sure exactly what that meant or, or why. Um, that there's some kind of scornful rejection. They don't want us. Feel like they're angry at us uh, for being for being wrong, and we just like don't like them either for wanting for saying repent at us. Um, but listen, the basic idea at the, at the root of the word uh, repent is a really common word. The Greek word used in it would have been really really a commonly used word, and the basic idea is just turning back. Repentance is a is a is a turning turning back, and what God celebrates is us. Turning back to him. Uh, coming back home to him. Sometimes that's admitting our stupidity. Like the prodigal son here. Running away. or Admitting our self-reliance, our sin. But especially uh, turning back to him in need. Uh, looking to him for help. Now you might have noticed as we read this that there's a reason why uh, Jesus tells uh, these uh, these parables, because um, <clears throat> he tells them to the grumbling uh, scribes and Pharisees, right, uh, who are who are very much disturbed at his association. They see him hanging out with the the tax collectors and the sinners, uh, the people that are that are known uh, publicly for just their rejection of God's law, and uh, the tax collectors as being uh, greedy and selfish and kind of traitors to their own people to get money from the uh, from the Romans instead and support them. They're the, they're the low lowlifes. They're the outcasts. They're the morally repugnant uh, sinners. Um, and, and that's the way they look at these people and Jesus associating with them. Maybe it's kind of like your friends from other schools right now who, are, who will say to you or comment on your Facebook things and say, how can you still like Jameis Winston? How can you even go to the football game? Or maybe you don't like Jameis. Maybe there's all these things. But, but they see themselves as on a different level than these sinners. They're the ones not needing repentance. And the passage said, so he told them this parable. So he tells it specifically because of that mindset and attitude of the Pharisees there. But he tells it still in front of 
All these tax collectors and sinners who are sharing meal and fellowship and time with Jesus. But I think it's worth asking ourselves, do we, do we see ourselves, or when do we see ourselves, on a different level uh, than other people? Um, uh, maybe it's the outcast uh, in our society, be that particular beliefs or opinions or lifestyle. Uh, maybe that's the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, uh, queer community. Uh, maybe, you know, this weekend that's the fighting Irish. You see someone walking around and they're, uh, and they're blue and gold and you're like, ah, it's wrong, right? The Catholics of Notre Dame. Maybe, maybe it's evil ESPN with their SEC bias. You look over at the you know, you drive over here, you see that college game day set up, and you're like, I'm kind of excited, and I kind of don't like those people. Maybe it's the guy getting wasted every weekend. You just look at his life choices, or getting high every weekday. Say, don't know what to do with someone like that. Maybe it's the girl bouncing from guy to guy. Maybe it's just intelligence, your understanding, your grades, your knowledge versus someone else's. Uh, maybe it's style. Better or not, different, and you look down on those that don't, don't fit your preferences. Maybe it's grades. Maybe it's even just something as, as silly as like movie preferences. But I can't believe you would like that movie, and I actually think less of you now. I don't, I don't know why. Um, maybe it's just straight up how sinful somebody appears to you. Um, and that you don't want to hang out with them because you can tell what their life must be like. Who is it who needs to change their ways? Who needs to turn back and repent? Uh, is, it, is it us? Or is it always others that we're around, that we're seeing? Because I love that this verse, is a, in verse 7, is a comparative statement. Because uh, it kind of bothers me, like, what's going on here, Jesus? Like, I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over this one sinner who repents than 99 righteous who need no repentance. And at first we're like, wait, how come it can't be fair that one gets more attention and more celebration than these, than these 99? Like that seems to be a, a disconnect there. Already, if you're really hearing the story the way Jesus tells it, he's like, which one of you, if, you're, if you have a, a, you know, 100 sheep and one gets lost, wouldn't leave the 99? It says in the open country, and it's, it's also kind of the wilderness. Doesn't say, like, have someone else come and watch over the sheep, make sure that they're safe. You just leave them in the wilderness to go get the one. My guess is that some of the Pharisees would have already been like, what are you talking about? What, that's, not, that's not good shepherding practice. You should, Jesus doesn't even know or understand these things. Um, just making a, a point to them how we, uh, how we look at these things. I think they're certainly uh, offended to hear him speak of more joy in heaven over one sinner, like those that Jesus is eating with, uh, who, who turns back, than over 99 who never even needed to turn right because they always did everything right. Like you hear the elder brother saying at the end of the passage, I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. What's going on here? Uh, so often we're not willing to come to God because, because we're not righteous. Because we think that we're not righteous enough for him to actually want us, even accept us, much less to celebrate. We know we don't deserve to be celebrated. Maybe we feel like we deserve to be rejected. But heaven is not celebrating over these 99 perfect people. Like maybe we would expect the joy and celebration of God comes over the sinner who comes back to him. As Jesus, the good shepherd, goes after the lost sheep and gathers it up on his shoulders 
and brings it back and calls his friends and neighbors uh, to throw a party celebrating repentance. To put it this way, uh, that God is after our repentance uh, far more than he is after our righteousness. Uh, Because the only way to righteousness after sin, after the fall in the garden is only through repentance. It's not us making ourselves right. It's us realizing that we've failed at that miserably and that we need God in coming to him. Uh, And then in that repentance, there's celebration and joy and rejoicing and singing and music and dancing. Do you need repentance? Because if so, then there's a great cause for celebration. Uh, Do you know others who need repentance? Uh, Then look for the occasion of celebrating them, celebrating with and over them. Uh, The celebration in this passage is a celebration of repentance. But repentance is something that seems painfully difficult uh, to us. Uh, Really, I remember a day uh, when I spent basically all day uh, sulking in my room uh, because I didn't want to repent. Um, To let that make sense, I was in high school and it was during the summer so I pretty much had nothing going on at the time. Um, but, but God had just kind of brought out something that was ugly and that I didn't like, uh, but I did like. And, and it was hard to turn from it. So I tried listening to music, tried just looking out the window, tried drawing. And I pretty much just sat there for a day uh, sulking because it, it felt so painful to own up to it, to admit it, and to say, I don't want to help me to not just continue to follow this because I wanted to. Uh, repentance feels painfully difficult to us. I'll go so far as to say that it, that it feels like death to us. Not getting what we want and what we've longed for, what we're going after, can feel like death to us. But listen, from God's perspective, repentance is far more closely tied, and in this passage, to resurrection, to life, uh, to newness of life uh, again and in fullness. So first, we're looking at celebration of repentance. Uh, second point, uh, repentance as related uh, to resurrection. See this particularly uh, twice that the father describes his formerly lost son, verse 24 and verse 32. He says, this, my son, was dead. Maybe read the story, he didn't like die when he was in the other country and then come back. This, my son, was dead and is alive. He was lost and it was found. He says again to the older brother, he says, this your brother, was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. Uh, and where that, where that change, that movement from death happens in his coming back, and his turning back, and coming to his father uh, in weakness and in need for mercy and for help. So was, we're looking at repentance as related to, to resurrection. And I think that helps us see more the extent that God is willing to go to to celebrate over our rebellious sinners who've come home find it really hard to repent. We come up with, you know, as soon as, soon as someone kind of points out something wrong, like 9,000, you know, excuses start rolling through your brain. You're like, are any of these good enough that I can use? <laughs> I'm trying to get somewhere and I end up going through not just the yellow or the orange light, but it actually turned red. Uh, and I'm already wondering, like, what excuses I could use for why that was kind of okay or should I, I, I did actually try to hit my brakes when I realized I just hadn't looked up early. Where does all that come from? It's because we hate repentance. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We want to deny it. Uh, We don't want to admit our failures. We especially don't want to admit it as offenses against God. We want to be able to claim perfection or at least good enough. 
But we can't. And so we run away. Uh, we run away from God. But a real repenting, a real turning back doesn't just let us brush over it lightly. It wasn't, wasn't a big deal. It makes us face fully our failure, especially how we've offended God in relationship to him. It makes us let go of just trying to make ourselves better. The next thing I pursue is going to make it okay. In short, it's one of those things that we want to avoid at almost all cost. Um, I think of it, you want to take the literal turning back. You know, it's like you're driving somewhere and you don't actually know where you're going. You're not lost, but you don't know where you're going. It's so painful, at least for some of us, uh, to actually stop and ask for directions. Because you have to admit that you don't know, that you can't uh, get it right. Uh, but why then is it such a big deal to God that he celebrates and rejoices over? Because really, it's in that third uh, parable of the man with two sons that you see uh, the need for repentance. Um, uh, in, in the youngest son and how he responds in it. Um, it's a horribly offensive request that he makes, right? Hey, Dad, um, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of this family. I'm tired of living here. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of your restrictions. All I want is your money. So can you please give me whatever portion is going to be mine so I can take it and get out of here and do what I want to do? Um, that's bad enough like in our society now, but you plop that down like an ancient Near Eastern mindset of respect and authority, and it's over, way, way uh, over uh, the top. <clears throat> and, and we don't want to admit how rude our actions are. We don't want to admit how they hurt uh, someone else, how offensive uh, they are before God. Then he goes, and what happens? He takes this, this wealth and he, he squanders it. Uh, the, doesn't mention the first part, but the older brother, it's assumption at least prostitutes. Um, all kind of, he just spent it on, on rest, reckless living and it doesn't last very long. All his hopes of living the good life dropped out from under him. Uh, like a pit opening up uh, under his feet and he doesn't know where to go. And we, in repentance, don't want to admit how stupid and foolish our plans were. How they failed. How that didn't actually give us what we want, even though we kind of liked it for a little while. Um, and can I just say, uh, there are lots of, you want know, to say younger sons, there are lots of younger prodigal sons, younger sons that come to FSU. Uh, some of you in this room, uh, but so many on the campus, this is part of, uh, of coming to FSU. It's further away from your parents and from where you live in a lot of the state. There's a lot of things that FSU uh, offers um, that come here exactly for that reason. I, I love that they're here. Um, but then you, you look at this, uh, we, we hate admitting these things, and you look where the, the younger son ends up. There's a famine, doesn't have any food, um, and he ends up in like the most shameful position uh, imaginable. Um, he's in a pigsty, and he's looking at the pig's food, wishing that he could eat it. And no one will even let him have any. And don't forget, this is a Jewish audience uh, here uh, who, who, who's, uh, who's hearing this. So the Pharisees, the Pharisees at this point are eating the story up. Right? Here's this guy. He dishonored his father. He tried to do these things, and now, now he's getting exactly what he deserved. Exactly. This is the kind of unclean guy who now he's stuck feeding the pigs and not getting food. And I hope he dies and the story just ends there because that's exactly how it, how it should go if things were the right way. Um, and we don't want to have to admit our shame. 
We don't want to admit how repulsive we've become. That we were at the pigsty, wishing that we could have more of what they had. But the younger son gives the best example of repentance for us here. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Right? He's admitting the fullness, the depth of his sin before God. He's, that he's not deserving uh, anything. And he asks only for mercy and help because he knows he's needy. Uh, that he looks for grace. And then he's rehearsed it. He comes to his father. And before he can say anything, his father's already running toward him. Uh, running toward him with love to take him in his embrace. Uh, hugging him, kissing him. Uh, uh, already celebrating over him. For them, him to be able to get at least part of it out. The confession, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Before he even gets to be able to ask, to be able to just be one of his servants, the father's already calling the servants to come and bring uh, the robes and the riches and the rings and the sandals to put on his feet to, to uh, slaughter the fatted calf that they can celebrate, they can eat and rejoice that here his son is home. And the Pharisees and the scribe must have been completely uh, shocked uh, when they hear Jesus telling the story of how the father received him. And the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was eating, at, eating with must have had their hearts leap as they hear Jesus tell the story of how he's received. And the fuller understanding of the gospel, it makes sense how, uh, how the son's accepted and clothed and celebrated because Jesus has described himself as the good shepherd who not only takes care of his sheep and goes after the lost uh, sheep, but gives up his life, lays down his life uh, for his sheep. Uh, that he took on the punishment for guilty, rebellious sinners, for tax collectors, for the morally repugnant, for the outcasts, for the failures like us. He was condemned. He suffered the shame on the cross, the rejection of God. He calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken uh, me? And it was because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was because in Christ God was reconciling the world uh, to himself because he was making a way back for the lost. And so Jesus was also raised from the dead as victorious over sin and death. He was raised and exalted with honor instead of shame, given the name above, uh, above all names. And our repentance is simply admitting that we, that we need Jesus' death and resurrection, that that's our hope. That our only hope has to be in something that we didn't do, but in Christ dying and Christ being raised to new life and us being able to share in that new life with him. So, so repentance for broken sinners is actually coming to share in the very new life of Christ. And what feels like death uh, to us becomes, becomes life because of what Jesus has done. Because we get to be restored to God's love. We get to be restored to life on him. Repentance is what actually values the love of God. It values the sacrifice of Christ. Instead of what we could put out, what he has done for us. To be able to recognize and acknowledge and say, I'm, I'm so messed up that my only hope is that God as man would die in my place and be rejected and give new life to rescue me. 
It's in the younger son's repentance uh, that he is said and seen to be alive again. Uh, It's in our repentance that we're seen as sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. You mainly want the life that you can make for yourself. And you're stuck like me, sitting in a room, sulking because it's not going right and you don't want to turn from it. Or do you realize that you want and need the life that only a God can give? Covering shame and guilt with love and forgiveness and yes, even celebration and joy. So the call of the passage is one to join uh, the celebration. All right, sometimes it's great to be at the party. Other times you feel like you're not invited. But this is a celebration that we're invited to join into, either as the one repenting, especially as the one repenting, but also as those who might know that that person, him or her, who needs to repent. Uh, The father, when he speaks to the older brother, he says it was fitting to celebrate, to be glad, because this is your brother. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. The older brother's response, though, in the parable is teaching something to us, teaching something especially to the Pharisees uh, that sometimes we don't join in. I mean, wouldn't it be great at the start of the passage the Pharisees and scribes see Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, and they're like, hey, can we sit down with y'all? Is it really okay that we can be here? We, we, want, to, we want to be in the circle of love, too. We want to know how this fellowship and it'd be great if Christians didn't look down on non-believers at FSU and in Tallahassee and all the stupid decisions they make and the things that they get in trouble uh, doing. Wouldn't it be great if we weren't just uh, spending time judging each other uh, as much as loving each other, uh, reaching out in love to others? What happens? The older brother, he's coming in out from the field and he hears, what's he hear? He hears the music and he hears dancing. He hears the party going on. He can join into the celebration, but what does he do? He stops. Someone's having fun over there. Someone come tell me what's going on. I don't want to have anything to do with this. One of the servants comes over and says, your brother's back and your father's excited, and so he's glad to have him safe and home again, and so he's throwing a celebration, and he refuses to go in. It's an ugly picture of the bitterness um, that, I, that I think we know something about at times. <clears throat> oh, he says, I don't, I don't approve of this. And when he's not approving, he's not approving ultimately of God's redemption in Christ of sinners. That's not the way he wants it to work. And once he, he knows he's just more bitter and angry, even his father comes out to entreat him. Whether he's like, go get my father so I can tell him this is not the way it should be, or his father just comes out to join the celebration, be part of these things. It only becomes worse. It's judgmental. He looks with disdain at his brother. You know what he did. He squandered your wealth, your life, your inheritance on on loose women. Uh, And then he he starts describing his relationship. He's so frustrated because he's seen his relationship with his father as just a legalistic relationship. He hasn't seen his father as his father and him as his son. He says, Father, I've served you. I've been your servant. I've obeyed you. I've never disobeyed anything that you said. And you've never just celebrated over me. You never even gave me a young goat to go celebrate with my friends. That catch that. He wants to go celebrate not with his father, but, but away from him too. Um, and he's, <clears throat> he's just seen it as a servant, a legalist relationship. But his father speaks to him, child, son, 
oh, what's mine is yours. You can enjoy it at any time. But the problem is that he doesn't want to. He refuses it, not unless it's earned. The story ends, and it doesn't tell us whether he joins the party. It ends with the father saying, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother is dead and alive. Was, was, uh, he was lost and he's found. And surely the father goes back in and the celebration continues. Uh, but does the older brother follow along and join in? <clears throat> the invitation remains for us. It's not the way of righteousness. It's the, the messy, narrow, muddy path of repentance. But will you come to the celebration of a father who loves his wayward children, who loves for them to come home to them? Will you join the celebration where he sings loudly and exults in joy? Last time we spoke of how Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A little bit later in Luke, he puts it this way, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God is a God who celebrates, who celebrates sinners repenting. And he invites us to join in the celebration uh, with him. I'll be part of it as we turn to him, as we look out to others and invite them to this call of the joy and the celebration of the God of the universe.